The race for president in Russia, is it really race? Well, it appears to be getting its first opposition candidate, at least. Uh, Boris uh, Nadazin is uh, submitting the 100,000 signatures needed to qualify. He says he's collected twice that number. Nadazin says if elected, he will guarantee safety for Vladimir Putin, keep him away from a war crimes tribunal in The Hague and make sure that he gets his pension. Let's bring in CNN's Claire Sebastian to delve into this. Claire, I'm sure our viewers are no stranger to what usually happens mm. to vocal opposition to Vladimir Putin. We all know the story of uh, um, Alexei Navalny. How is Boris Nadezhin getting away with this? Is it possible that he is approved of by the Kremlin in some sort of plant? You know, he's been asked that question a lot of times. I asked him that question when I spoke to him last week. He says that, look, the reaction to his campaign, and we've seen over the past couple of weeks people lining up outside headquarters all across Russia mm. in cities outside of Russia trying to add their signatures so that he would get the right amount. He now says that he has it. He says that is real. He says his popularity uh, is growing. And the question of, uh, of why he's allowed to do what he's doing, his manifesto calls the war in Ukraine a fatal mistake, appears to be... You know, in his view, some kind of effort to thread the needle. He's been moving in Russian political circles uh, for a number of years. He was an MP. He says he knows Putin. I actually asked him this question when I spoke to him last week. Take a listen. People have been arrested uh, and sent to prison in Russia for a lot less than that. Why are you getting away with this? I don't know. I don't know exactly why I'm not arrested. I know Putin very well from 90s even when he was not a president. He was a normal Russian bureaucrat, and I was normal Russian bureaucrat. So the situation we're in now is that it's out of his hands. He says he's collected double the number of signatures needed. There are strict rules. Uh, the Central Election Commission, you know, on paper, it's their decision. They have 10 days to review it. But this, you know, him arriving at the Central Election Commission headquarters, this anti-war candidate who seems to have ignited this level of support, this sort of flash of dissent, albeit very orderly, no protests, anything like that. This, you know, could become an iconic image in this election. I think the big question here, this is a big litmus test as to how far the Kremlin is going to allow this to go. Mm -hmm. They have said they don't see him uh, as a rival. And what they want to get out of this election, because, of course, this is not a democratic society and the purpose of this election is not to elect a new leader. So is this a legitimizing exercise for Putin? Is he trying to run against an anti-war candidate to mm -hmm. secure some kind of mandate? I think those are the questions that this decision on whether he gets on the ballot to start with will, will really help us. It's not just a mandate, someone he can argue with and put his point of view across with during the campaign. We don't, I don't expect to see much of that. On. Putin is not going to take no. part in, in debates. I don't think it's going to be that kind of campaign. I think it's more about sort of managing public opinion, whether or not he allows Russians to, to, to hope for some kind of political life. In fact, Nadezhda's name in Russian actually comes from the word for hope, which is something the Russians have, mm. have obviously latched onto. This is a really interesting idea, like you say, about mandate. You would think that an anti-war candidate in Russia would spell trouble for Putin, but if he can decisively trounce him in an election, mm. it does provide that mandate. Or is it, as you've, you're intimating, a version of safety valve theory, give people the opportunity to yeah. feel like they're involved in a democratic process and have that outlet, which makes things easier for him. So interesting. Thank you. We knew we'd be following it as time goes on. Well, Russia and Ukraine have swapped hundreds of prisoners of war. These are fresh images of some of the Ukrainians celebrating their release earlier today. The Ukrainian government called it, quote, the second major exchange after a long break. CNN's Fred Plytkin joins us now from Kyiv. Um, this was a significant 
prisoner swap. Um, mm. Who was swapped and why now? I think you're absolutely right, Becky. It is certainly a significant one for the Ukrainians. It's, it's a very large one. The Ukrainians saying 207 Ukrainian uh, prisoners coming free uh, from the Russian side, some of them from the Ukrainian military, some of them also from the territorial defense forces as well. And you were just alluding to some of those uh, images uh, that we've been seeing, the first video of those prisoners from the Ukrainian side being released and how happy some of them obviously were to finally be back on Ukrainian territory. That is something that's very important for the Ukrainians. All this, of course, very important because it comes only a week after a Russian IL-76 cargo plane crashed in the Russian city of Belgorod. And the Russians, of course, blaming that on the Ukrainians, saying that they shot that plane down and that there were 65 Ukrainian POWs on that plane. Now, the Ukrainians have fired back at the Russians and said, look, there's absolutely no evidence that the Russians have presented so far to suggest that there were really POWs on that plane. Certainly, there was no images of possible bodies on the ground after that uh, crash took place. The Ukrainians demanding an international investigation, the Russians so far saying that that is not something that they want. However, all of this called into question whether or not further prisoner exchanges could take place. And now just a week later, there is the next one. Definitely very important one. The Russians also saying that almost 200 Russian prisoners came free, but especially for the Ukrainian side. This is very important also as far as public opinion here in this country is concerned. Becky. You just spoke to one of the spy chiefs. What did he have to say? Yeah, this is Kirill Budanov, the head of the military intelligence agency. He certainly is right now one of the most important figures here in this country, especially as, of course, in the past couple of days, we've heard these rumors that possibly there could be changes to the military leadership here in this country. I spoke to Kirill Budanov about the way that the war is going for the Ukrainians right now, the needs that the Ukrainians have, but also some of the uncertainty right now for U.S. further aid to Ukraine. Here's what he said. We're confident that the United States will fulfill the commitments it has made to our society. We really need this aid. Shells are one of the most decisive factors in this war. It's about quantity, not so much the quality as the quantity. Next, there are assault aircraft. These are aircraft of the type that the United States has, like the A-10 Thunderbolt II and so on. This is what can really help inflict a military defeat. The main events of the battlefield will start happening sometime in the spring or early summer. What we have now, this situation will not change much. So essentially, what is he doing? Uh, is he's acknowledging that right now the Russians are the ones who are pressing. The Russians are the ones who have more manpower, more ammo. But he does believe that things will turn around, that Russia's offensive will fizzle, as he puts it soon. And then the Ukrainians will be at the ready and start attacking, as he put it, uh, in late spring, early summer. Of course, one of the things that is a big if in all of that is whether or not the Ukrainians are going to have more American ammo and also more American weapons with uh, what's going on right now in the U.S. Congress, Becky. Yeah, and we are just shy of two years of uh, this uh, war. Thank you.